And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where the crew is on your team. Grab your shopping cart, make a quick snap, and move out of the pocket. Run an option to the demo station. Make an end around to the snacks, then find an eligible receiver to take you to the end zone. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I'm Bruce Feldman. Joined, as always, by Stuart Mandel. And we are at the National Title Game Hotel, right? Live from Atlanta. Stu, uh, as we're looking at it, I'm seeing it's currently 26 degrees here in Atlanta. A little chillier than California. <laughs> a little chillier than California, and I don't own winter gloves. I've survived so far. I kept thinking I'll run into a place in the airport that sells them. Hasn't happened, but i um, happy to be here and... We have already, you're about to hear it, we have already done a, a great interview for this podcast with somebody who you're going to be seeing Monday night and 20-something million other people will be seeing, and that is ESPN star sideline reporter Maria Taylor. Yeah, by the way, you don't own winter gloves. What other kind of gloves do you own? Do you own, do you own the kind I don't, of like I don't own any, I don't own any gloves. <laughs> okay. I don't, uh, I mean, we may have some of those gloves you wear to clean, like, the bathroom, but I, other than that, no. Okay, on the image of you scrubbing floors and scrubbing toilets, we're going to move on to the game. So we're going to get to the interview with Marie in a little bit. Stu, so we were both at a classic game, which we talked about on the last edition of the Audible at the Rose Bowl. A lot has happened before, before in college football before we get to, back to the national title matchup. I think we should talk about there's another coaching vacancy that is out there with a scandal that has unfolded. Rich Rodriguez, he was fired at Arizona. Now, he was not fired for cause, which means they still have to pay him over $6 million. But it's messy. It is very messy. What's your takeaway of that? As you've kind of, you read a lot of the stories coming out of Arizona in the wake of of these allegations. I mean, if you read the complaint that was filed and the allegations within it, and it's a longtime administrative assistant of his who's alleging workplace misconduct and just the environment that he is alleged to have created there, including what's the, the secrecy? Uh, the triangle? The triangle of secrecy. secrecy. Like, that basically he had built up this infrastructure of, that, was, that was made entirely to just basically keep his secrets under the rug. And one of those secrets was that he was having an affair, which he has admitted to. And I don't think that's the, his undoing here. It's the kind of intimidation tactics and... I mean, there was there was a reference in there to like we don't do Title IX here, that doesn't exist in our office, and so many other things. So I mean, it's it's some really ugly allegations, and I, I when I say it's I'm gonna say it's not a surprise, not because of Rich Rod, who you and I have both known for a long time, but you know you never truly know what's going on behind the scenes. But let's be honest, we're in the middle of a, a movement in this country. It started with 
I don't know exactly who it started. I mean, Fox News anchors, Harvey Weinstein, et, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I think it's a there's levels of this of what you know. I don't know if you use misconduct or inappropriate behavior, but I do think there's levels of it where, on some end, you know, look, we grew up in a time when Bill Cosby was an American icon, yeah, and the bad behavior level you know, was pretty much off the charts there. And as you mentioned, you know, between the Fox News, you know, well, Roger I, Ailes, I Bill O'Reilly. One and thing then, clear. There, there is a, you know, I think everything's being grouped together. I agree, yeah. Bill Cosby was drugging women and sexually assaulting them. That's a lot different than what's being alleged here. Correct. But, I mean, the, the point is, more and more we are seeing women feeling uh, empowered, admiring something somebody else did and now I'm going to stand up and tell my story too and so as this has been happening you know as I've talked to other writers all we keep saying is this is going to come to college football and uh, yeah uh, there, there, this will come out about certain coaches and certain programs and so my guess is this is the first of several stories we're going to get like this this offseason yeah and I had reported the other day that there were two cases of what was described to me as me too uh, situations that are being investigated now. Apparently, Arizona was one of them. I do not know. No, this person had not told me what the other school is that's in the that's dealing with this now. But what I'm curious about your thoughts on here is when you see some of this, and it, it falls in the category. What I was told by somebody in Arizona was a, a being abrasive, and the being abrasive part. You know, and I felt this way from having you know done access pieces in the past. That probably outside of the military, college co- coaching in general, especially in, in college football, is one of the only other places you can imagine somebody could yell at another adult in the way they do and get away with it. Right. Because, I mean, let's say, you know, you're now a boss, right, Stu? And let's say you... Coincidentally. You're now a boss. <laughs> and let's say you just, you know, you're, Kona, you're number two Dan Uthman, who's an editor. Though. Let's say you just ripped into him. I do it every day. I, you I know. Rip. Oh, my gosh. There's Dan Uthman. <laughs> you guys talking about me? We are. We're not, I'm not kidding. Right, Dan, I, Dan Uthman, not, managing editor of the All-American. <laughs> just, okay. just made a cameo <laughs> appearance in the middle of the podcast. But but I do a, want to get his opinion on something in a second. But finish your thought. Okay, but in a, you know, keeping this on a serious tone, Dan. Um, all right. All right. No, so we're talking about rich rod oh, and bad I, behavior. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can okay. hear you. And bad behavior. This involves in the case of Arizona involves a female, and as a system, you know, is it? Does are people going to start looking at it and saying, okay, well, you know, you had maybe it was a maybe it was a male trainer, and we're not talking about sexual misconduct. We're talking about being demeaning, condescending, you know, inappropriate workplace conduct. Is this a potential where this is headed? Because if it is, there's going to be a lot of football coaches and a lot of coaches in general who are going to end up out of work if it goes down this road. I mean, ultimately, you know, I think that. You know, there's a lot of really successful coaches who I think could could get tripped up in this. The unfortunate thing would be, and we talked about this, Dan and I, last night, is if, I don't know, eventually, if more stories like this come out, if the reaction by football coaches is, well, I'm going to stop hiring women then. We can't have women around our offices because, you know, we don't feel like we can express ourselves freely. Because, you know, we have seen uh, over the last, I don't know, however many years, you're seeing women get roles in either as recruiting. You see a lot of women getting roles in the recruiting operations of programs. Obviously, there's always been administrative assistance. 
And I think overall that's a good thing. I think we can agree on that. But I could see football coaches saying, oh, I don't – seeing what happened to Richard, I don't want to get in trouble. So no more. We're not hiring women anymore. Well, also, you know, kind of towards that end where we're talking about, question, you know, like questionable behavior and how it is it – we're not just talking about game day, but around the, the workplace environment – if coaches are also going to go back, if you're going to go back and start looking at things, and let's say there's assistants who, you know, administrative assistants and different people have been around, or former former coaches who were assistants of coaches and going, hey, you know, in 2001, so and so did this. I have this email or whatever they have. You know, you start looking back. If we're looking at things through the prism of 2017 slash 2018 behavior patterns and what's acceptable and what's not and you go back 5, 10, 15 years there's going to be a lot of ugliness that's going to surface I think. I think that could end up being the story of the off season if there are more to come. I mean the thing about Arizona and Rich Rod is it's a pretty off the radar program. It know? isn't, it isn't. I mean he was the head coach of the University of Michigan. No, I, I he's mean, a high profile person and it's a power 5 school but if that same exact story comes out about a team that's currently in the top 10, I mean, the, the, it would be that much more explosive. And that could, that could happen. And, you know, to be clear, we don't have any knowledge of anything specific. Yeah, I also, you know, towards that, I think, again, these were allegations that were made that Arizona did its own three-month investigation. They could not substantiate because she didn't cooperate at some right. point with this. Look, if they could have fired Rich Rodriguez for cause, they would have. They would right. have saved $6 million. So in the end, in they it. justified by he lost whatever it was for the last five. They finished 7-6. Yeah. We're firing him for that. The, but they're not really firing him for that. I think they were firing because they are not comfortable with how he conducts himself as right. the head coach and his matter. And it should be noted that the AD who is there now has been there for about a year. He was not the AD who hired him. He came from Central Michigan. From what I understand, he was never a huge fan of, of Rich Rod and his personality. And, and obviously that's, that's bared out. So and do you want to talk about who, what they should do next? Or do you want to talk about... I want to talk about the most interesting story in college football this week, and I want to bring in Dan. Dan is the brains of the All-American. I may have the editor-in-chief title, but Dan does all the actual work. And and we've been talking a lot about this in the last couple days. So here we are in the site of the official college football national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. But UCF, which finished the season undefeated and beat Auburn in the um, Peach Bowl, has gone ahead and declared itself the national champion and is actually going to hold a parade Monday night, about an hour and a half before this game. And it's been really fascinating to see the react. Like, I'm curious your guys. But I think it's fun and harmless and let them have their fun. But there are people who are, like, really offended, offended by offended, this. Like, yeah. How dare they make this claim uh, based on, obviously, it's kind of the transitive property championship, right? They beat the team that beat both, that of, beats these both of these teams. teams yeah. Dan, how do you feel about it? Uh I think that UCF is totally justified in doing this, and I think it's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't award them a national championship trophy. I would award their marketing and athletic departments for the national championship trophy because this is brilliant. If you're a Group of Five team, how else, unless you put in blue turf or you know beat Oklahoma with a bunch of Statue of Liberty, how else do you get these kind of this kind of attention? So from that standpoint, I have total praise for UCF. I'd love to see them play these two teams. I think I would probably pick Georgia and Alabama to beat UCF in all cases. But that said, like, 
they're one of the most entertaining teams to watch in college football this year. Um, they deserve the attention. They may not deserve the national championship, even though you know they have an impeccable record, the only unbeaten team in the country. But I don't think there's any harm in it. And I think if you're the group of five, like they should go into NACTA and these other D1ADs meetings and run a seminar on how to capitalize on a viral <laughs> moment because there's no doubt that they have. Danny White, the AD, this is all him. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's been really. savvy marketing. Well, so if you're them, how do you leverage it? Do you make the case, hey, we tried to schedule this team, that team, and that team, and you know they actually were supposed to play Georgia Tech. That didn't work out because of the, the hurricane. The hurricane, you know, back early part of the season. I don't know. I mean, I would have liked to have seen them. There's a lot of fans who are going to say, well, you know, they had everything to play for. Auburn didn't. I'm sorry. You know, like Auburn was. They had coaches that were on airplanes half the time going yeah. back and yeah. forth. It's, like, it's, they had their disadvantages, too. I mean, it's a no question. They, you know, in the system we have now, are, did they do? Did they earn a national championship? No. But what they've become now is a poster for all the people who think, the playoffs should be bigger and i don't think it needs to be bigger but i'm okay I, with it yeah i mean i guess what i'm saying is in the first three years if you you were like, oh we need an 18 playoff there wasn't really a team that i felt got screwed over enough to say that well, we have to have an 18 playoff but if you're somebody who feels like if you go undefeated and regardless of the conference you deserve to play for the national championship then ucf is now your 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 main, you know, argument for that. Totally. totally. So, since you're management, Dan, let's ask you this question. <laughs> okay, all right, uh-oh. So, there's that motto about every game counts, uh-huh. every game matters. Yeah. I think that went away with the BCS. Did it? Yeah, it's not on the stationery anymore. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, that's because he's become management. He, he sees all these little details. <laughs> that's right, exactly. But this is, you know, I, again, I'm... I, I'm not offended by this at all. You know, if UCF wants to have their have their moment and turn it into something, there's a lot more negative things that are going on that totally. people can be outraged yeah. about that I'm going to find an issue with this. And if I'm a Nebraska fan, I am I am so fired up about who's coming, and I'm fired He's up. Gonna, Scott Frost is going to be here tomorrow to accept the uh, Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award, and I think like we get invited to that reception every year. I've gone a couple times, but like this will be the most highly attended one of these because he is the man of the hour right now yeah i mean the group of five as a whole has so many disadvantages i wouldn't call them disenfranchised like they still are you know in the picture they're still making plenty of money in a lot of cases but they just they're sort of cast off and and excluded there's no question about it in so many ways in this sport there's definitely divisions here between 65 and 65 i would just like to point out that and i did a little googling of this this week you know for two years there it looked like the big 12 was going to expand i found an audible episode from june of 2015 george schroeder was our guest where we made the case that ucf was the number one program (laughs) the big 12 should invite way before any of this in fact, I think it was even before they had that winless season. For all of the reasons that you've seen come true, location, access to speed and talent, and, you know, big school, big enrollment. Massively it, growing school. Like, yeah. stop. I mean, nothing against Cincinnati and UConn. When was this podcast on? Summer of 2015. So when UCF is in the midst of an 0-12 season. Well, yeah. it, was, it was before the Owen. It was the, well, things were yeah. trending that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, but they also weren't that far. I mean, the crazy thing about UCF is they – Went to Fiesta Bowl and beat Baylor yeah. with Blake Bortles. It's been two years after that. They're winless. Two years after that, they're undefeated. It's been a World it's been a roller coaster to say the least. But just, I mean, what the Big you, Twelve was so, and we've talked about this many many times, and 
they were so snobby about, well, we're not going to expand. And they don't have to expand. But the reason was, well, we're just not that impressed with any of these candidates. You can't, you're telling me UCF wouldn't make the Big 12 better? Of course they sure. would. And then they wouldn't have to claim themselves nationally. Either they would get it done or they wouldn't. What do you guys make of this stat? And maybe it's just a throwaway thing. But in the playoff era, the group of five teams are 3-1. and one, And the only loss they had was last year, P.J. Flex, Western Michigan team. You know, they almost won that game. Yeah. So... I mean, three and one is is pretty strong to say that. And you know, a lot of people are going to dismiss it and go, "Well, the other teams don't have as much to play for." That's that's not their fault. Yeah. That you know, these other teams. That is a part of it, well. though. I mean, I don't. I I'm not going to deny that. Like, if you, there's no way you're going to motivate Auburn plays in the SEC championship. But sometimes game. even wanting it more still isn't going to make you yeah, catch right. touchdowns and interceptions. No, I know, but I'm not taking away. I mean, NIU. But you can't NIU say that's not a motivation than FSU, example. and yeah. it didn't it didn't help them win. Well, the but game. here's the interesting thing: we grouped them all together, group of five. But, like, Central, uh, Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, like, to me, the MAC is not the American, right? So teams like Houston and UCF or Boise, who is obviously a really established program, like, those are much closer to Power 5 programs than – Lane Kiffin. Anytime you run the, the mouth. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. When they talk about, like, well, the Lane Kiffin six. played Wisconsin this year, and it wasn't close. It was so. early in the year. Yeah. But when they talk about the Power 6, any sort of metrics that you run on conference rankings – there's always the, the top five is always jumbled. It's like sometimes SEC's one, Big Ten's one, ACC last year finished number one. But there's one straight lines conference that never changes its status, and that's the American. Yeah. They're never worse than six, and they're never above six. So, so they are on their own tier. They're so better than Wasn't there a part when people were trying to say that the American, maybe this is seriously, and I'm not trying to bash him here, but this might be Brando fatigue. I could have sworn last year. There was a talking point that the American was actually the fifth best, and I'm trying to remember who they would have been. Would have been would the have, Big Twelve, I think. Last year they were flirting with because they had that close. really rough start with Oklahoma yeah. losing, yeah. Oklahoma yeah. State. Well, lost here's the to, interesting thing though about Central. the American, right? They have this great record, and now in the New Year Six, but they have a, actually have a terrible record in the other. They're like one in nine against other Group of Five. How much does that have to do? Games. How much does that have to do with their hemorrhaging coaches, though? Yeah, yeah the turnover is crazy. Well, maybe they're not motivated. Just the, the way- weird thing. The weird thing when you get in the metrics on the American too is this: despite their success and despite them always having a Houston or a UCF or USF seemingly sort of rising up, their strength of schedule tends to be like ninth or tenth among the ten leagues at all times. Hmm. So I don't know, like they they might get a Louisville here or an Oklahoma here, but some of those non-conference games are also holding them back. You know, if they play a Villanova or something like that, you're never going to get a lot of credit for playing FCS. Well, in terms of the actual national championship game here, which we should talk about, and Maria Taylor We'll have that interview here in a minute. It's a really good interview. I definitely encourage you to listen to it. And we do talk to her a little bit about the game. Mostly we talk about her career. The sentiment I'm getting, Twitter, comments, emails. Once again, people are, I don't want to watch it. Two SEC teams, I'm out. What do you think? I mean, that's a little, I get it. I get Alabama fatigue. But first of all, Georgia hasn't been on this stage in 30-something years. I don't know why you'd be fatigued by them. Maybe it's SEC fatigue. These two teams haven't played each other. But also, unlike LSU-Alabama in 2011, like, Oklahoma and Clemson had their chance. They didn't win the games. These are the two teams that won. These are the two teams in the championship. If you're a college football fan, why would you not want to watch the two teams standing on the last day? For me, the biggest reason more than anything other is, yeah, it's probably the two best teams, but it's going to be the last college football game you're going to see for a long time. 
So what else are you watching on Monday? Yeah. That's my question. I'm sure are, a lot of those comments, people are actually going to watch it, but it will do poorly in the rate. It won't You know what I it think? won't get anywhere near the rating that the Rose Bowl got the other day. You know what I think this may be, and you may be hearing it on, on your social media side of it, of the negativity, is because this is one game where I think it's really hard for somebody to find, I, don't, I hope they both lose. You know, that's kind of the attitude where... Uh, we really don't want to see Alabama win, but now we got a, a Nick Saban's protege in Georgia. If there was somebody else in there, I think that they would have. You know, I, I don't doubt a lot of people probably were rooted last year for Clemson because Dabo seems like a very positive guy, persona-wise, and everybody loves Deshaun Watson. And they weren't Alabama with Georgia. I'm not sure people are reaching for that, right? Well, and the other thing is, okay, so I guess if you're somebody who thinks the system is rigged or whatever, SEC bias. I mean, Georgia earned their way in. I don't think anybody could question that. No doubt. Obviously, there was a lot of split between Alabama and Ohio State. But if Ohio State had gotten it and they were in this game, wouldn't we be hearing the same? I don't want to see it. This team lost to Iowa by 31 points. They're not one of the two best teams. I don't want to see them play for the national championship. I think, but it wouldn't be quite to this extent. It's really about SEC and people feeling like ESPN shoves the SEC down their throat. And the fact is, the SEC wasn't that good this year. They really weren't. But they did have, all along, these two great teams. They were, you know, number one in the – Georgia was number one in the playoff rankings when it first came out. Obviously, we know how good Alabama is. So uh, I'm excited for the game. Um, I think part of that is, frankly, having just been at the Rose Bowl and watching those Georgia running backs do what they did to Oklahoma, I'm fascinated to see them now go up against, uh, you know, an Alabama defense that just completely shut down Clemson and seems to be back at full strength. Yeah, and who else would you want in this game? Like like you just said, Georgia beat Oklahoma. To me, Oklahoma was a lot of fun to watch. They had their chance. It didn't work out for them. They lost. I'm not sure you'd look and go, okay, Ohio State you know, deserve, got really snubbed. They deserve to be here any more than anybody's here. Uh, and I just don't see it unless you're going to make the case for UCF, and we already you know discussed that all. It's just the now. way it worked out this year. Yeah. And look, it happens in the NCAA tournament too. Sometimes – the top seeds lose and you end up with a championship game that people aren't that interested in. I get it. And that's going to be the case this year. But I guess what I object to is this is not a product of SEC bias. This is a product of two really good teams that beat two really good teams in the semis and they're here. And uh, it's going to be an interesting game. I really think so. I guess if Alabama wins 21 to (laughs) three, we might not be saying the same thing. It obviously would be more, but who else would you have wanted here though? I thought there was a, a lack of prime contenders this year. Yeah. I mean, there were just, there was, you could have had a three team playoff and people would have been like, yeah, that's probably about right. Oh, I you definitely don't see think, that very yeah, often. There were three know? that rose above. And we say that, though, and Alabama for most of the season would have been in that group, obviously after the Iron Bowl. Like, the thing you keep hearing is the third place SEC team is playing in the national championship game against a team that they didn't even play in the conference. And by the way, that's adding to the intrigue. I think if it were a rematch, Sure, a it's bad the first game. Kirby and Nick matchup. It right? is, and it's, it's... It's not happening in a regular season game. It's happening in the National Championship. I wish they had played, and, you know, I'm glad that I do get to see them play. And, and I was at the 2012 game, and the SEC Championship game that came down to the tip pass. It was one of the best games I've seen in person. And, like, there's some sort of... I, I do feel like... I know all the players have changed over. The coaches, uh, coach for Georgia has changed over. But there is, like, this feeling of, like, that, that game altered Georgia's program. If they had won the game and probably gone and beat Notre Dame, Mark Richt would still be the coach, and, and it would be a totally different story. So I feel like there's this kind of full circle thing where Georgia will have not only won their first national championship in 37 years if they win it, but will have fully overcome the, the, the little downward spiral that occurred after that game. Now, if Alabama wins, 
it's just another Alabama national championship. Just, <laughs> just going down the mental rabbit hole as you were talking about that, and I'm looking at like the whatever the weather thing that's going up in front of me. It dawned on me. So let's say that that Chris Conley doesn't catch that pass and the clock doesn't run out or whatever the scenario is, and Georgia goes. And Mark Rick's still the head coach. Greg Schiano might be the head coach at Miami, and all this <laughs> other stuff doesn't happen. That's a good point. <laughs> so on that note, <laughs> let's go to our interview. All right, Stu, so we're with ESPN's big star of the weekend, especially hometown girl, right? Maria Taylor, thanks for joining us on The Audible today. Thank you so much. I don't know about big star, but, you know, hometown girl, yes. Maria, (laughs) you've been on TV every minute since at least the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah, I mean, as soon as Georgia lands is when my work starts again. I'm kind of following them around. I'm the embedded reporter for the Bulldogs, which has been fun for sure. Headed to practice later today. We've already done some reports. We've been everywhere, I mean, trying to cover this thing. Yeah, and as we're talking, it's it's Friday morning. You've probably already done like 11 things or, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and that's just today. Last night, Stu said he's in the airport and then he's seeing you. <laughs> I, I land at Hartsfield. I go to baggage claim and every TV above the carousel is playing inside the NBA and there you are. Oh, best part of the story is, so Ernie Johnson, we keep crossing paths. He hosted a 40 under 40 banquet that I was at. He was re- receiving a journalism award at Georgia the same day that I was. And we've just met in passing, like recognize each other. And then I saw how Charles Barkley had on his Oklahoma jersey and all this other stuff and they're just going in on Georgia so I asked my friend if she could get his email and I email him I'm like hey you need some backup like <laughs> let, let me bring a bulldog puppy to your set he's like love it done we're making it happen and he put a whole plan together so that would work out that was for the awesome. <laughs> what, so what is the the coolest thing you've been able to do I mean as we mentioned you're you're from like less than an hour away mm-hmm. from here you're uh we're a former great athlete at Georgia two sport two sports star and now all of a sudden you're in the middle of this what's yeah. been the coolest thing for you Working a champion, like a national championship game, I've always said that no matter what I work, it could be women's volleyball. I want to be at the last game. And so I've done that in volleyball. I did that in women's basketball last year. This year I get to do it in college football, which I've been working since 2012 for ESPN. And it just sweetens the pie that it's in my hometown. You know, like you feel like this is where you're supposed to be, right place, right time, and everything's going in the right direction. What has it been like for you? I mean, like you said, you've been on ESPN since 2012 and and I think college football fans became aware of you Mm -hmm. over the last few years but is it when you are doing the game of the week every Saturday night when you're on game day when you're doing I mean, how many people watched the Rose Bowl the other day? It was like 27 million. Yeah, it's huge. Like, <laughs> what has this year been like for you? It's mostly people being like, who are you? Like, <laughs> what? Maria, what? Yeah. Like, they see me and they, a lot of times people will take a picture with me and then they'll be like, so what's your name, though? Like, they have no clue. So each time everyone sees me, it's like the, for the first time, which has been a lot of fun for sure. But it's been busy. I mean, I had a week where we did a doubleheader Champions Classic in Chicago on a Tuesday. Wednesday, I was on my way to Wisconsin. Thursday, we're like doing shows for game day. And that week, I think we went to USC for the night game. So early morning Saturday in Wisconsin, and then we're in California. It's just kind of been a whirlwind. Yeah, I mean, how do you keep in your energy up? I mean, at this point, it's not like, you know, for me, and I'm doing sideline, and I'm way older, obviously. (laughs) But still, just between all the travel and then juggling all the commitments, and then you have to be on when you're on TV. Mm -hmm. So how challenging is that for you to do You guys just saw me put, like, cold (laughs) Alka-Seltzer, like, (laughs) vitamin C things into my water bottle. I'm always on emergency. I try to hydrate a lot. try to protect rest time. You know what I mean? So, like, if there's a time for me to just be down, like, I just need to lay down if that's what my body's telling me. But I've been sick. When I did Alabama-Arkansas, by the end of the game, 
game. My voice was like gone. And I told Nick Saban before I interviewed, I'm like, listen, you're not going to be able to hear me. Just say things <laughs> after I talk. And I had to just kind of like lay low. I couldn't do shows that week. And it finally came back that Saturday. What would be your biggest break? I remember first seeing you at SEC Media Days. I'm not sure if, if you were at it. I don't even know if SEC, mm-hmm. FCC Network existed at that point. Probably not. Um, so how do you go from being two-sport athlete at Georgia to transition into TV? Sure. I told everyone at Georgia that's what I wanted to do. So Damon Evans was the AD at the time, and he made sure that at Georgia I had a job. So he told IMG College or International Sports Properties that I was going to work as a PA and work on the website. So I was able to do to anchor stuff. Stuff and do radio for women's basketball and volleyball. And that turned into Comcast Sports South coming in and saying, hey, we need an analyst. So my first TV was an SEC Alabama volleyball match. And then that turned into women's basketball. And then it turned into doing high school football sidelines. Then it turned into do the SEC football game of the week for CSS. And I met ESPNU people at SEC Media Days. Maybe it was the same time that we were all Probably. there because I was working for Comcast at that time. And John Vassallo was like, okay, I'm going to give you one college football game and I'll give you a slate of volleyball. And I think honestly the olympic sport volleyball is where i shined and then they thought maybe we can translate that into football and so it's been a growing process ever since i guess when you first started doing college football and you're and you're dealing with coaches and and just kind of i mean especially in the sec yeah like we deal with this paranoid coaches oh my gosh like what's what's the biggest challenge to to covering that league in particular it's about that relationship building, right? Like they, you can only build trust with them because you've covered them or you've been around them. So they have to believe that, listen, if there's an injury that I'm telling you right now and I'm saying I don't want it released until kick, then you have to go with that. So I've never been one to, I can't break a ton of news on Twitter, I feel like, because you're, I feel like I'm saddled with, I have to work with you in the broadcast, I have to interview you in game. I, I need you a lot and we need each other, but I need you a lot. Um, but that trust builds over time. I think at first coaches kind of looked at me side eyed and like what's she doing in the meeting room and now they see that like okay I'm a part of the college football culture a little bit and so it's much easier breaking down those walls and walking into those meeting rooms or doing those interviews now now I'm also curious players mm-hmm. I mean I know you're you're modest but like you are a celebrity to them right <laughs> 18 19 year old kid at Georgia or Alabama like mm-hmm. you're a celebrity in their world what is it like what kind of responses do you get when you first interview them I that is why I do this like honestly I love being around the players I love being on the sidelines because I get to talk to them after they win a Rose Bowl or after they win an ACC championship you get to know the Christian Wilkins of the world you know you get to know Jonathan Taylor like I'm gonna be able to say I covered him his freshman year when he went off and what a great guy he was and I remember what he was like as a freshman and I'm gonna be able to watch him grow till his senior year and those are the stories that I like to tell honestly I have more fun doing social media stuff with the guys and like joking around with them than I do anything else um, because I think it's important that we look at them as kids or like individuals first and then when they put this helmet on they're also these great amazing athletes but we need to just show that their personality exists and I think that my laid back (laughs) mentality and maybe being a former athlete student athlete helps that and that's what I want to use like I think that's my gift and that's how I want to use it what is the you're wearing so many hats here I know I've seen you in studio and obviously you're doing sideline and you're on game day What's the most challenging thing you do? I would say sidelines is probably the most challenging on a lot of different levels. And you know this, Bruce, uh, after this season, right? So you're kind of, you're in inclement weather. It's taxing on your body because you're standing and walking around for four hours. You are in the heat of moments. So some, you're not going to get everyone's best all the time. And that's not their fault. Like they, they feel how they feel in that moment. And then on top of that, 
you're also dealing with just how quick everything happens and being able to react and respond. So, you know, things can catch you off guard or you can think something's going one way or you can think you're going to interview one coach and all of a sudden the entire script changes and you got to run 50 yards the other way to grab somebody else. It's the most taxing mentally and physically, I think, that I do. We talked about this actually the other day on the field when I saw her. It was like I had just come from Foster Farms where I was juggling a bunch of different, hey, we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. And my biggest challenge I always think now is, hey, you're going to ask a question to somebody you had literally like maybe a minute to prepare Mm -hmm. for. You're on live TV. Somebody's in your ear. There's a lot of stuff going on. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I've seen people say snarky stuff about the stupid question Mm -hmm. that that somebody has asked and you have no idea it's 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 way different than you or I could have prepared to sit here and do this mm-hmm. interview or you know we go to interview some coach in his office or something where you have a you know a sheet of paper in front of you and everything right. it's almost never like that during a game mm-hmm. you know and it's like i always said the stupid question that i might ask in a post game setting as a writer mm-hmm. only person who knows it may be the writer next to me and the kid and mm-hmm. usually the kid is like so oblivious because he's got so many other things going on but when it's on national tv it's a different platform and remember too it's the brevity of it all so you get 45 seconds where people in the booth they can talk the whole game mess up say the name again (laughs) or you know what i mean like there's an opportunity to redeem yourself there's not an opportunity for a sideline reporter to redeem themselves it's like be on point be concise get out your producer's yelling at you you know the plate's about to kick or start (laughs) now you're very active on social media Mm mm-hmm do you read your mentions? And if so, Ooh, how brutal is it? Great question. Yeah. I have the filter set so high on my Twitter. Really? That, like the only people I can see personally on my phone, on my app, are like people that I follow or someone that's verified. So I don't see a ton of things. So someone might say to me, like, did you see what this person said? I'm like, no, actually I didn't. And I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so I'm just minding my business on social media. I see what I see in my timeline based on who I want to follow. But I'm not going to have trolls just like crushing my it's way healthier mentions. that way yeah, i feel i try to make it positive i think instagram is like if you look at it it's the positive form of yes. social media twitter is just like negative it's it all just negative. slides negative and so i'm just sliding it away like not nah, you're all filtered out yeah my feeling on twitter is it's almost like it's the rock that is you didn't want to overturn but it's there now yeah. i guess you've kind of turned the rock back right. over i admire your discipline that come out but oh yeah i don't i mean i've talked to other sideline reporters or on air women who mm-hmm. you're like why would you do that like don't yeah. look don't look don't look and they're like i know i know i can't help it yeah uh, i said it so i can't look yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you could unset it that way you're so right. it's a little bit of but there's like nature. an extra step i think it's the extra step that keeps me from doing it by the way did either of you sideline reporters see i think it was chris budden who mm-hmm. tweeted this this week she had a snapshot of her she had used i did yeah uh, uh-huh. It was like nine miles or something. Well, she had walked ages. nine yeah. miles during the course of a game. I mean, that's real, though. Yeah. I've always thought, I need to put a Fitbit on and like see how much. Because you get there two hours before the game. So you're walking around before the game and after the game and yeah. I mean, nonstop. And you're, yeah, and you're, you're, on, you're there at halftime. The mm-hmm. thing that uh, just the early season games when it is steaming hot. Like, uh-huh. I don't mind the cold as much as the, the first couple of weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Just where it's like you're there and you have to, in my case, I have to wear a jacket and tie. Right. And it's like the guys in the studio are throwing to you and they're... <laughs> Matt Liner thinks it's funny that you're sweating on TV. Well, right. Sorry, Matt, I'm not in the air conditioning. Right, we're not going to be cute down here. It's not going to be cute. And so I mean, this guy days. took so much uh, abuse for the. He had the lightning delay. It was a like three and a half hour lightning yeah. delay. Oh. And you, for whatever reason, they shot you in the complete dark. Because I'm in a tunnel, and it's like because it's like a liability if our camera guy comes over and brings a light guy mm. down. So it's like I didn't know how dark it was. But right. 
you know, that's the nature of life. See, again, silent reporting. Mm, the hazards. Yeah. So one of the things that if you saw the trolls, they would be trolling you about mm-hmm. the most. I mean, we're sitting here, there's a Georgia football jersey right next to <laughs> yes, us. 100%. Like, everybody knows you're a UGA athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm, we would, you know, expect nothing other than for you to be wanting Georgia to win Monday night. <laughs> but people expect the broadcasters to be neutral. So mm-hmm. how... How do you handle that on Monday night? I think everyone that has watched me in the past knows that I'm a professional. I have covered more Alabama games this season than I have Georgia games. So at the end of the day, I'm going to do my job. A post-game interview, Tom Rinaldi will be working Alabama's sideline the whole time. I'll be working Georgia's the whole time. And that's not even, I mean, I guess part of it could be because I have great ties and links there, but also because I was the only one that could get to Georgia on Selection Sunday from the ACC Championship. They put me on the State Farm bus to go there. And so it's like, all right, well, you're with them. Stick with them. And we had the Rose Bowl, so you're going out there anyway at the end of the day i think people need to understand that like my job is my job and i will certainly do that but it doesn't change where i went to school it doesn't change the fact that the university of georgia is the reason why i am where i am and it doesn't change the fact that of course i would love for good things to happen to that university like that is fair and that is honest and i'm going to be genuine about that and i'm going to interview jalen hurts if he wins the national championship and be excited for this kid who lost it a year ago and redeemed himself like that None of those things change anything. You know, these are completely separate circles. My work is my work. The University of Georgia is what it is to me in a completely separate circle. So on the field, this matchup, you know, there's obviously the Kirby Smart connection. You have, you know, Mel Tucker, another guy who worked with Saban. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crossover. So going back a couple of years, what is your perspective on this series as it's playing out and what we're going to see on Monday night. Sure. I think um, we talk a lot about, okay, so how did Kirby Smart get here in these two years? And I think a big turning point for Georgia this season was, I mean, you go all the way back to August or whatever when all of his seniors decide that they're coming back and not just because of the talent that they have on the field but the fact that that, that equals buy-in so basically all of your veterans are saying yeah we could leave and go make money but we leave, believe so much in you Kirby Smart and what you're doing that this is going to be ridiculously special that we're back and it's allowed kind of the young movement to buy into the words also that I'm getting from the Kirby Smart camp or the coaches and players there is just it's a different level of discipline from the person who is a part of the grounds crew like a blade of grass is not going to be out of place and you're not going to be held responsible everyone's going to be held responsible um, and this completely changed the culture but I also think that the big thing in this matchup is the fact that these seniors played Alabama two years ago and Georgia and I talked to Nick Chubb I've talked to Sony Michelle and they all said we weren't ready like in no way shape or form were we ready the reason why we feel like we're ready now is because we have firepower to actually battle them so when they come at us maybe we can go back and we know what the physicality is like what we have to expect and it's something that Kirby has built this program on like if nothing else we will be a physical team so two years in they feel like they have the physicality to match Alabama at this point I feel like this is like my Taj Boyd theory whereas like a couple years ago when they beat he was already gone he was Mm -hmm. you know just hanging out around the team but they beat uh, Oklahoma in the the Orange Bowl he was talking about we're taking step by step by Mm -hmm. step and everything kind of bared out the way he said it you know they won the national title last year Mm -hmm. and there is I think there is something to it's hard to do what like Bob Stoops did year two where you just flip a switch Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden everybody you know you hit it and then year two you win a national title and you go now it's year two for Kirby right but I do feel like this is credit to Mark Richt I Mm -hmm. think you know he brought a lot of these guys in and I don't know if I would, if is it fair to say he laid the foundation? Mm-hmm. I mean, cause... I think absolutely that's fair. I mean, he put together a team that obviously talented. I mean, you don't just end up with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle because they walked in the door and were like, yeah, I think I want to go to Georgia. Like you put in time getting them there, getting them ready and picking good kids. Like they're good kids too. I think he's always been kind of good for that and getting rid of the ones that aren't, you yeah. know, bad seeds. Let me ask you this. So you have your, your finger on the pulse of Georgia mm-hmm. people. 
How do people feel about Mark Richt mm-hmm. in this, you know, like, it wasn't like he left to go, you know, he got fired and he right. took another job. Like, I mean, is there is there mixed feelings on it for, among the fan base and among the Georgia people? What the sense that I get is that there's a piece about it. One, because Mark Richt was always just a good person to Georgia. And it, I mean, he was winning 10 games a year. So you look around at the college football space and you recognize that that is not the norm. That is above average. And that's OK. Like you're a, you might be playing around New Year's Day. And because of the way he ran his program. So everyone, he's a good person. He did what he could for the team. Like, it seemed like he was always making the best move. He never, didn't really let a lot of things slip through the cracks. Like, he was going to punish kids if you were the starter or if you were third string. But also people understood that maybe the message that he was delivering was no longer resonating with the team. And that's okay. Like, sometimes your time is up and it's time to move on. I think the piece about it is everybody wins. He goes back to Miami. He's at his alma mater. We're not in the same conference. And he's building, and they had a great year. Georgia, Kirby Smart's back at his alma mater. They're at the national championship having a great year. So everyone kind of ends up happy. But now what I see is, honestly, people are cheering for Georgia and rooting for Mark Richt in Miami is what I kind of hear. That's good because usually once the coach is gone, like – Good like riddance, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's not, it's weird because it's not the feel no, at all. It shouldn't be. Kath I mean, and Rick, we were there when the SEC championship was being played. They had the game on, and like Thomas Brown, the OC, is watching, like, yeah, you know, because he recruited Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. And Kath and Rick's like, I'm just so happy for those guys. She was and like, she's, team mom. Right. Yeah. And so she's like a direct, she's the one talking about it with him, you know, in their house. So I believe that he must have some kind of sentiment that's similar to hers. So you, you get to spend, you get to be behind the scenes probably more than we do with these two programs. Mm-hmm. And the narrative is Kirby basically took the process, mm-hmm. moved it to Athens, and now they're a clone of Alabama. Yeah. And now they call it keeping the main thing the main thing. I'm like, it sounds like the process. <laughs> it's well, fine. <laughs> well, when Kirby talks, so at media day at the Rose Bowl, or maybe his, no, his press conference the day before, I'm sitting there, I'm going, this is eerie. Mm-hmm. 70% of what he says could be coming right out of Nick Saban's mouth. Yeah. But is it that simple? I mean, have they, is it, is Georgia to you now an Alabama? type program and the way it's run? I think one of the big differences, too, are the assistant coaches that he brought over. So, like, Cooley, who's done a great job with Jake Fromm, quarterback's coach. The guys that he has put in place, like the strength staff, it, it does resemble Alabama in a lot of ways, and I think that, that that's a great thing. I think, obviously, Nick Saban has the model for success. Right. And you're right, the message that he delivers is very, very similar. In addition to all the stuff you're doing, I understand you have some other stuff mm-hmm. you, you're heavily involved in, and that that's important to you. So why don't you tell our listeners what that is? Sure. A passion project of mine, it's called the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, and it's a nonprofit that's supposed to help women and minorities work in the sports industry. And so we're in year three. We've had two different cohorts. We match them up with mentors, give them resume building skills. And basically, we want to be the bridge for a very, very diverse talent group or pool of talent and the decision makers that are hiring. So if there's a kid that played football at Kentucky and he wants to be an offensive coordinator doesn't know what that looks like or where he can go we have the connections I can go to anyone and be like hey do you have a graduate assistantship coming up and maybe we can connect him with that but this year we're actually having a retreat and it's geared completely to student athletes so that's current student athletes former if you're a couple years removed and it's four days intensive of bringing in industry professionals talking about you know how to properly network um, and opening their eyes to not just I don't have to be just a coach I don't have to just be on TV I can figure out how much a ticket should cost because based on you know how much we're selling um, I can learn how to market 
it. There's I can work at a, a shoe company or something and learn how to design. So we just want to broaden the horizons, give kids experience and exposure, but most importantly, bridge a gap for minorities and women in sport. Okay, so how do, how do people get to connect with you? The winningedgeleadership.org is where student athletes can go and they can apply, um, put their applications in for our retreat this year. Um, and if you want to donate, if you want to help, you guys are going to be a part of our network now, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, just hit us up and let us know what you're interested in. And I, my Instagram and Twitter is at MariaTaylor7. My website is MariaTaylorTV.com. And there's also like a info page where if you have a question or you want to get in touch, please do. All right. Well, I think you probably have to go someplace else right now. Yeah, you think we, so? <laughs> <laughs> What's next on the itinerary? Headed to Athens. Got to go to practice. Check on Kirby and those dogs. Maria, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of a very, very busy schedule. Good luck Monday night and, you know, rest your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'll see you on Monday. All right. Well, here's a few more things before we go. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash all-american. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.